Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Astounding tales of the public domain with Father Malone. Stories of our future from the distant past. Enhanced audio performances from the golden age of science fiction. Featuring tales by Paul Anderson, Marion Zimmer Bradley, Robert E. Howard, Ray Bradbury, and more. Tune in to Astounding Tales of the Public Domain with Father Malone at WeirdingWayMedia.com. Chris Dashu. This is Father Malone. And I'm Mike White. And we are still the host of Dreams for Sale, a monthly look at the Twilight Zone 1985. Not to be confused with Twilight Zone 2019, which is still on the air and somehow got renewed for a second season. If you want to hear us talk about that show, we did a bonus episode about the first two episodes last episode. However, on this episode of Twilight Zone 1985, we are going to be talking about the seventh episode of the show, which was broken up into two sec- segments known as Teacher's Aid and Paladin of the Lost Hour. We are told damned places exist, buildings where madness permeates the very bricks and mortar. We're told that sometimes dedication and kindness can purge the evil from those walls. This has merely been a story. Life isn't really like this, is it? A lesson to be learned in the study halls of the Twilight Zone? Teacher's Aid was the first half of this episode. It aired on November 8th, 1985. It is written by Steve Barnes, directed by B.W.L. Norton, and stars Adrian Barbeau as a teacher at a gang-filled school who ends up getting possessed by a gargoyle. Oh, what a segment it is. Isn't it spectacular? It is truly, truly something. Some teachers, they bring a baseball bat to school or principals, but no, Miss Peters, she gets possessed by a gargoyle, and that's how she cleans up this inner-city school. That's what every inner-city school at the time needed, particularly if it's an inner-city school lifted directly from 1957 and dropped into the mid-1980s. <laughs> Your graces! Ugh. 
It is a really dumb episode, right? Like, segment of the episode. It's real bad. It's pretty uh, bad. It is. Yeah, it's it's absolute garbage. Uh, Adrian Barbeau aside, who I usually love. Yeah, uh, Adrian Barbeau aside, who looks ridiculous in the gargoyle makeup. Yeah. yeah. Are we talking about her in the, like, the full makeup or just her, like, whenever she's possessed of the gargoyle? Because it's pretty similar. Well, I'm talking about at the end when the kid is, like, stuck in the room with her. And she's, like, jumping oh, my around. Goodness. It is it is so laughably bad, I can't believe someone was like, yeah, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's have absolutely zero explanation for anything that occurs, including what what is the name of the gang? <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, I don't remember. Anyone remember? It was so long yeah. ago that we watched this episode. All Probably I know Chris is- had been prepared on April 2nd. <laughs> yeah, right? That's not true. Um, that's, that's a lie. I actually, that is not a lie. Why are you calling me a liar? <laughs> Why are you saying I wasn't prepared? Because hurtful. you weren't. This is hurtful. You know what? I'm feeling ganged up upon here. This is all fake news. I think the Furies are ganging up on you. <laughs> yeah, the baseball Furies. Uh, I don't remember the gang name. However, I do know that one of the, one of the gang members is named Wizard. And Miguel Diaz yeah. Jr. is named Trojan, which is. Of course. Yeah. Miguel Nunez Jr., who is known for playing gang members, like in Return of the Living Dead, where he played another character with a one a one word name, Spider, and then when he was in Spider, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth: The New Beginning, he played Demon. So great. Yeah these these schools in the 1980s were out of control. I right? mean, Stand and Deliver. <laughs> Uh, gosh, uh, what was the one? That, I mean, there was like a whole series, The Substitute. There's a whole series. Dangerous of Minds. Well, yeah, I think that kind of capped it out. And then, but, uh, even like Class of Nukem High and stuff were playing upon that whole idea of the classrooms are dangerous. These kids the are turning against us. These are yes. young, young, young toughs, man. All these young toughs running around. Hell yes. It is a, yeah, it is a real dumbass episode. I, I, the principal with uh, Jim Belushi? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Back to wow. school. Back to the future. A, l- a little less violent, that one. <laughs> Back but. to the future. Yeah. Back to the it's, it's a bizarre episode choice, considering how Stephen Barnes is a is an actual like science fiction writer. And it's not like he hasn't written a fair amount of stuff. He's actually – he's a fairly prolific science fiction writer. And – this is just a really odd choice because, like like y'all said, there is no frame of reference as to why the gargoyle is there or why it possesses her or why any of this happens. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm always a fan of like uh, the less explanation, the better. But in this case, any kind of explanation might have been appreciated. Like, why exactly? Why was there a gargoyle on the building to begin with? It looks like just some random. Uh, like a Southern California school, so it has no basis for being there. Like, they don't give us a reason it's there. They don't give us a reason why it would have any sort of magical powers. That gives her no reason why she is chosen uh, to uh, to be possessed of this thing. It just all sort of happens. And maybe this is maybe I don't know. As a short story, we could have gotten a little bit, some bit of explanation for it. But it's just kind of baffling to watch. And it's not like the 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 human drama is making up for it in any way. Because Jesus Christ, it's uh, 
Oh, like I said, it's like a JD film from the fifties as far as how they're treating the uh, the, the kids who uh, who are uh, like in the school themselves. I mean, if it were a short story, it might behoove might have behooved Stephen Barnes to write it from the perspective of the gargoyle. Yeah, even if we found out like, oh, this thing comes to life every fifty years or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, that that trope that 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 ripped off trope, right? <laughs> Right, exactly. Every 32 years, it has to get three people in their pituitary glands, and then it goes back to sleep. Did you just write an X-Files episode, a Supernatural episode, or the film Jeepers Creepers? Uh, That was actually a cool check. Oh, well, okay, so all three, four now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All four things were all... And you know what, that... I I honestly, as much as we're making fun of that trope... um, that trope would have worked a lot better in this episode than I think we maybe give it credit for. Uh, I think any explanation would have been appreciated at this point. Even even uh, anything. I mean, we we literally get nothing. It's just we see the the glowing eyes and the bad effect of the uh, of this gargoyle sort of uh, coming to life and possessing her, and then she's breaking boom boxes with her bare hands and slamming people up against walls and lockers. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like the gargoyle is protecting the school, and the gargoyle's like, "Hey, enough is enough with these toughs roaming the halls. I'm gonna." possess this teacher and she's going to clean things up but it's not like that really happens either well here is what i'm curious about um why wouldn't they set this somewhere that actually made sense for the gargoyle to care about the school like shouldn't this have been set in like a more astute place where the gargoyle is like overlooking the school because the gargoyle has been there for ages like a, a a fine like a east coast uh like a prep school yeah something to that effect right well i mean even then it still wouldn't make much sense but at least you would understand why it's not set in fucking santa clarita you know well i think it was a gremlin that accidentally you know landed in a thing of uh, cement and then flew up to the top of the building and then froze there yes Did you say a gremlin? before making a bat symbol <laughs> bat, yes exactly bat, bat symbol gremlin yeah, it's in the episode. <sighs> this was uh, just I, not good. I not not think, an enjoyable half hour of television. I did not think it could get worse than some of the things we've seen so far, but now they are just completely shirking the idea of giving us any sort of narrative structure or narrative uh-huh. like narrative driving of the plot. There's nothing driving the narrative in this episode, and that's what makes it so bad. Yeah, we don't even really get any characterization of her like no she's i'm you know my dog's barking at me i'm there must be something wrong with me you know if that's the case my dog's barking me all the time and you know what they're probably right well you are possessed of a of a gremlin they got me they got me and we got just as much explanation out of that (laughs) yeah the dogs know they know that i'm a gargoyle possessed by a gargoyle yeah i i don't know look um when we talk about the second half of this episode I think it'll redeem it a little bit, but this is a very poor first half of an episode. And, um, you know, let's talk about the, the filmmaker there, Mike, Mike White. You're, uh, you're familiar with his work as well. His, uh, his film, uh, More American Graffiti is fantastic. So it's a little disheartening, like how poor the episode is overall. Now, is that script or budget or whatever? I don't know. There just doesn't seem any ingenuity behind the camera, like elevating it in any way. Yeah, I like his work on things like Cisco Pike and stuff. And even, you know, he directed the 
Ironically enough, he directed the TV movie Gargoyles back in, I want to say, 1972. So oh, he which is great. Gargoyle experience. And yeah, I yeah. really enjoyed that, especially compared to this. We should we should start a band called Mike White and the Gargoyle Experience. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way you said that, he's all about that gargoyle experience. Oh man! Well, now coming to the stage, Mike White and the Gargoyle Experience, and we're all just dressed like gargoyles. Sure, it would be better than this I'm episode. In. It would be much better. Anything is better than this episode, except for maybe Examination yeah, Day. I know. Well, I you know what? In comparison, I like Examination Day a lot better. Yeah. At least there was kind of a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah. Some sort of uh, the thought behind what was happening and a care to let the viewer in on that process. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the next, the final segment of this episode, Paladin of the Lost Hour. Like a wind crying endlessly through the universe, time carries away the names and the deeds of conquerors and commoners alike. And all that we were, all that remains, is in the memories of those who cared we came this way for a brief moment. A blessing of the 18th Egyptian dynasty. God be between you and harm in all the empty places you walk. So, Paladin of the Lost Hour is directed by Gilbert Cates, credited as everyone's favorite Hollywood Sham artist Alan Smithy. It's based on a short story by Harlan Ellison. The teleplay is written by Harlan Ellison. And it stars Danny Kaye as a as an old man who protects time. He holds on to the last hour of time. Something something Julian calendar? Yeah, Gregorian and Julian, they're off! <laughs> uh, it sounded better on paper, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I, most of Harlan Ellison stuff sounds really good on paper. Um, you know, before we dive into this one, let me just mention, like, Harlan Ellison is absolutely one of my favorite authors of all time, almost more so in his nonfiction work than his fiction, because his fiction tends to, uh, fall into one of a couple of categories, which is, um, uh, sometimes it can be very maudlin, um, which I think this one is, um, sometimes it can be sort of, uh, too theoretical for its own good, and on occasion, uh, his, uh, stories are some of the best things I've ever read in my entire life. If you read his book, uh, his book of short stories, Deathbird Stories, uh, it's pretty much every one of those stories is a winner. Um, he's got a story called The Whimper of Whip Dogs, which is just unbelievably great. And uh, uh, another one called Bleeding Stones, which is just, it haunts me to this day. Um, unfortunately, most of what we get from Harlan Ellison in the televisual world has been sort of uh, leaning toward the maudlin, which this kind of, uh, this kind of reeks of, unfortunately. So, um, just wanted to give a shout out to how much I love him before I, uh, uh, excoriate him for this one. Well, I mean, look, he wrote the, the short story that teleplay was based on, or teleplay, Jesus. He wrote the short story that Saturday, the first segment in the first episode of the show was based on. So he gets a pass, but this is, not great, but it's also paired with Teacher's Aid. It is way better than I think even I thought it was going to be, considering how Alan Smithy is the one who directed it. It's really strange to me how just a couple, well, a couple months ago, we were talking about uh, the, what was it, Nightcrawler, was it called? The one that William Friedkin directed? Billy Nightcrawler, Friedkin, yeah. you mean? 
Yeah. And it's just, you know, we're talking about the scars of the Vietnam War that people were still dealing with here in the mid 80s. You know, I think Reagan brought back a lot of those feelings and stuff. And here we go again with another Vietnam story, this whole character that Glenn uh, Turman plays. And I think he gives a fantastic performance in his role. Oh, I don't think the performances are bad at all. I actually really like the performances. I think the issue with this episode is it's just a little long. Yeah, it's It's a little little, long. It's a little long-winded. I mean, Danny Kaye and Glenn Turman are fantastic. Yeah, not only long-winded, but let me say, like, Gil Cates, like, uh, I think he said that he took his name off of this because it was uh, sort of re-edited by the producers after the fact, and he didn't like that. I would have taken my name off of it because I would feel uh, a deep sense of shame for how fakey and awful everything looks. That sort of graveyard at the beginning is clearly a set. It is so awful. It looks like an episode of Days of Our Lives, like, just in some... Manhattan building like this is now the graveyard um it uh, I, I don't know it is it it the, the entire directorial portion of this episode is really poor uh it does not aid the story at all and uh you know I know Harlan Ellison's one of these writers who it's like you're going to film everything I write but you know as, as fantastic it is to see uh someone uh enact their their sort of Vietnam story, it is a visual medium, and I'm always wondering why we're not just shown uh, what we should be seeing. Like, it's not a radio drama. Um, that was another sort of issue I had with it. Like, I'd, I'd rather just see what actually happened as a viewer instead of having a character tell it to me if you can show it to me. Show me, don't tell me. It's like the most basic rule of screenwriting. Yeah, but Glenn Turman in that scene where he's talking about what happened to Vietnam actually did a really good job. No, I, I, again, I'm not questioning his performance. Uh, I'm just saying, like, the episode feels long because it's effectively two characters sitting in a room talking. I mean, sometimes right. they go outside and talk. Sometimes they're in a different place and talking. But it's effectively just two characters talking for the entire goddamned episode. My dinner with Andre. These days they would go back in time and show when the calendar was switched over and have some sort of, mm-hmm. like... You know, visualization of that lost hour and those kind of things. <laughs> Just, I, I'm picturing like the beginning of like Tomb Raider or some sort of horseshit like that. Scorpion King. I, I just wonder with an episode like this. I mean, obviously, Gil Cates realized his kind of discontent with it, but I guess I have to wonder if they really thought that this was an interesting enough story to adapt into like on screen. And I guess they thought so, but, like, I can't imagine it really is. Because it ends up just kind of falling flat at the end for me. A little bit. Not very much, but it does kind of fall flat at the end. I think it's one of these writerly concepts that other writers really respond to, where you find a sort of wrinkle in uh, lore where, you know, when you look back at these calendars, there was there's this, you know, uh, a, a missing hour here. So oh, what, what can we do with that? How can we uh, sort of fantasize that out? And, uh, and it is an interesting concept, but, you know, I don't think this particular story does anything to uh, sort of elevate the notion. It's like the, the notion is sound, but the, the drama is kind of flat. And the stakes aren't... And, and the other thing is the stakes aren't really made uh, very clear until like the last minute of the episode. And that, I think, is the other issue that I have. Everything yeah, is yeah, made aware at the, the very drama, end. A drama-free episode. Yeah, everything <laughs> is made aware at the cemetery at the end. 
And like, that's not particularly exciting. There needs to be some, some stakes because throughout the episode, Danny Kay is just doing things. And then at the end, he's like, oh, by the way, this is why I'm able to just do things. It's like, okay. Okay, pop. Yeah, exactly. Like, there, yeah, the stakes. It's just disappointing that there are no stakes in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a it, it's a good enough stake, short story, but, but like, how how about like put a different story on top of the the story that it is? You know, like a, a different writer, a different perspective might have been able to help. I do yeah, like I, I do like the idea of like him testing him at the end. It's like very Willy Wonka esque. Charlie, my boy, you did it! Like it was that whole Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory thing. It worked, but again. I mean, it happens effectively in the last five minutes of the episode. It's like, come on, please, get with it. Yeah, a little less time making dinner together, a little more time giving us some steaks for what this <laughs> actually means. Also, I understand Danny Kay was a real dick to work with. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, mean, I, I just remember watching the commentary for this episode, like, you know, years ago, where they were saying, like, everyone was so excited to have Danny Kay there, and then once he was there, he was sort of just... uh um, not very giving as an actor to uh, Glenn Turman. Mm, that's a shame. It's super helpful considering how, you know, they are supposed to have chemistry throughout the entire episode. But they don't. Right. They. Re- it just feels, it feels very ham-fisted and shoehorned and like, okay, sure. Sure, they're, sure they're getting along well. Like, all right. It's because they're telling us they're getting along. It's not because Mm -hmm. there's any sort of magnificent chemistry going on between the two actors. Yeah, exactly. I'm hoping we get better episodes further down. That's what I'm... Well, you know, Shadow Man's three months away. Oh, yes. Shadow Man. Yeah, it's only, uh, yeah. Jesus. It's only like ten more episodes in. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, hey, you know what? I think I can speak for all of us in saying... At least it's not Twilight Zone 2019. Yeah, thank goodness. Because uh, Twilight Zone 2019 has not gotten much better, so sorry. I only watched one more episode, and I thought it was absolute garbage. So which one did you watch? Replay? Uh, yeah, that's the one with the, the diner and the video camera. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. But, but they had the nick of time thing in there. Ugh, best part of the episode. <laughs> yeah, right. The fucking just casual fan service. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I still like that one. I don't know. That was my favorite one so far. I think my favorite one so far is still Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet. I liked um, when I had no knowledge of what they were actually doing yet, and was hopeful that it was going to be good. <laughs> so you liked it before you realized that this was a thing. Yeah, before I watched one frame of it, I was uh, I was totally on board with the series. Well, I think like we said in that episode, a lot of this series is feeling more and more like a bait and switch. Uh, oh, Jordan Peele's involved, but not really. Well, I so far I think my f- least favorite episode is the fourth, the uh, oh Traveler episode. God. Oh my God. That, oh my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> episode is... Oh my god. Fucking god. Just you know what? We're going to talk about it eventually. It's fucking bad. There you go. Uh however, on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be talking about episode 8 of Twilight Zone 1985. That episode is broken into three segments: Act Break, The Burning Man, and Dealer's Choice. And I don't know if you guys know, but how do you guys feel about genetic evil? I love it. Sure. It's one of my favorites. 
I ate it for breakfast. <laughs> right? Genetic evil. Now with skim milk. Uh, until then, <laughs> where can people find you, Father Malone? Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Ot5 Films, where I do a show called You've Never Seen. It's a movie review show. You can also hear me on Chronicles from the Crypt with uh, you, Chris. We talk about the Tales from the Crypt television series on HBO. What about you, Mike White? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me and you over at the Colchak Tapes podcast, which is available at com. And I do a little show called The Projection Booth, where every week I'm talking about a different movie. And you can find that at projectionboothpodcast.com. And you can find me over at a little podcast I do, sometimes Mike White, sometimes Father Malone is on it. It's called The Culture Cast. I talk about movies once a week with a veritable cavalcade of guest co-hosts. And you can find that over at culturecast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TwilightZone85. Find us over at TwilightZone85.com. Big thanks, as always, to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for our intro or outro music, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.